friends, you've now entered the Man Cave Podcast, unplugged and unfiltered. This is a podcast where the topics are mostly about sports, but sometimes we mix in some other items, like, is Bigfoot real? Who is the best Batman? You're guided through each episode by a man who's the man for his time and place, Dan Casper. So welcome to the Man Cave, and stick around for a while. You're going to like it here. Hey, on this episode of the Man Cave Podcast, so last week we did kind of a like a Forgotten Legends or Legends Never Die. I got to come up with a, with a good name maybe for this, or maybe we don't need a name. I always feel like we got to name segments or something like that. Anyways, but uh, we kind of did like a little history deep dive into uh, into Cub Buck and uh, got some positive response from it. You, you all know me. I love my sports history. I'd love to be like a professor or teach a sports history class, but... Uh, going to do some more of that and in this episode of the man cave podcast we are doing that and we're going to do it on uh, a former packer player named johnny mcnally you may know him more by johnny blood and he is a he's he's from the from the area from like uh, western wisconsin but he has a tie to uh to the chippewa valley too if you're listening in the eau claire chippewa falls chippewa valley area there too so and he is one of the most colorful Fun-loving athletes, people of all time. We got some stories to tell about uh, about Johnny Blood, but you know I, I won't I won't keep you any longer from, from this story. So let's just jump into it. This is the story. Let me tell you a little bit about Johnny Blood McNally. If there was ever a way to hop into a DeLorean and travel to a certain time period to watch sports. I would set my personal course to the 1930s. Babe Ruth's career was starting to wrap up, and professional football was in its infancy. Just reading about that time period and how passionate sports fans were has me wishing I could have experienced watching a game at the Polo Grounds in New York or on a field that would pretty much look like a sandlot compared to today's venues. And there's one player I would have loved to have followed during his playing career. He was one of the most colorful and talented football players of all time, a man named Johnny Blood McNally. John Victor McNally was born on November 27, 1903, in New Richmond, Wisconsin. McNally actually graduated from high school at the age of 14, but according to Johnny himself, he was too small to play in athletics in high school. At the age of 17, he enrolled at St. John's University in Minnesota and ended up playing football, basketball, baseball, and track there. But since St. John's was only a two-year school, he had aspirations to attend Notre Dame. He would end up transferring there and went out for the freshman football team, even though he technically was a junior at the time. And they tried to play him at tackle, but he wasn't about all that. He wanted to play halfback. Johnny would actually be suspended from Notre Dame in the spring of 1924 for what he told Gerald Holland in a Sports Illustrated article in 1963 for absenting myself from campus along with some classmates whose names I refused to reveal. Back home, he decided to go to work for his uncle, who was the owner and publisher of the Minneapolis Tribune. He got a job along with his former classmate, Ralph Hansen, and this is where the legendary name Blood comes into play. Johnny and his friend Ralph had read that a professional football league was being formed in Minneapolis and that the East 26th Street Liberties team was conducting tryouts. One potential issue arose, though. They had one year left of college eligibility left, and they wanted to keep it, just in case they had a chance to play college football again. 
So they decided to come up with some aliases. As they were heading to tryouts, they passed a theater, and on the marquee was a movie called Blood and Sand. At that moment, Johnny McNally became Johnny Blood, and his friend Ralph became Ralph Sand. That would be the start of Johnny Blood's professional football career. He made that East 26th Street Liberties team, then he played for a team in Ironwood, Michigan, then he played for the Milwaukee Badgers, the Duluth Eskimos, and the Pottsville Maroons. Then in 1929, Johnny Blood was signed by Curly Lambeau and the Green Bay Packers. According to Blood in that Gerald Holland Sports Illustrated article in 1963, he said, In my negotiations with Curly Lambeau, I asked for $100 a game. He came back with an offer of $110 a game, providing I would initial a clause in the contract forbidding any drinking after Tuesday. I countered with an offer to take the $100 I had proposed and drink through Wednesday, Curley agreed. Blood would play for the Packers from 1929 to 1933 and again from 1935 to 1936. During his playing career with the Packers, according to Packers team historian Cliff Crystal, Blood was known for his ability to score from anywhere on the field at any time and was pro football's first big playmaker. He was highly regarded not only as a running back, but also a passer, pass catcher, punter, and defender. Hall of Famer Don Hudson once said, I never saw a fellow who could turn the ball game around as quickly as Johnny Blood. Curly Lambeau and the Packers ended up selling Johnny Blood to the Pittsburgh Pirates, now known as the Steelers, in 1934. It was a short first stint with the Steelers due to injuries, and Blood wanted back on the Packers. But Lambeau wasn't sold. So, in an attempt to prove to Lambeau he could still play, Blood played for the Chippewa Falls Marines and the lacrosse old-style loggers during their preseason games against the Packers. Blood proved he was right, and Lambeau signed him back to the team. Blood played two more years for the Packers before going back to Pittsburgh as a player and head coach until 1939. And how about this story during the 1938 season with Pittsburgh? The Pirates were set to play the rival Philadelphia Eagles in West Virginia on November 20th, but Blood wasn't there. The story goes Blood was actually at a football game at the Rose Bowl. People in the press box asked why Blood was there, and he said the Pirates had an open date. Wrong. Owner Art Rooney said, I was going to fire him, but the players loved him, so I told him, John, you have to make the games. After that, Blood coached the Kenosha Cardinals in 1940 and 1941 and played for the Buffalo Tigers of the AFL for one game in 1941. And the day after the bombing at Pearl Harbor, Blood enlisted in the United States Army Air Corps and served in India. In 1945, at the age of 41, Blood tried to extend his playing career and rejoined the Packers with the hope of playing a 15th year in the NFL. But Blood only appeared in one exhibition game against Pittsburgh. From 1950 to 1952, he was the head coach at St. John's University in Minnesota. When his playing career was all over, he ended up being a four-time NFL champion and a part of the 1930s All-Decade team. And when the Pro Football Hall of Fame was founded in 1963, Blood was among the 17-member inaugural class, along with three other Packers. Curly Lambeau, Don Hudson, and Cal Hubbard. His off-the-field football endeavors and work might be just as legendary and colorful as it was during his playing days. He would return to his hometown of New Richmond, Wisconsin to run an employment agency. And in 1958, Blood was an unsuccessful candidate for county sheriff, running on a platform promising honest wrestling. He also received his master's degree in economics from the University of Minnesota at the age of 50. Oh, and he wrote a book called Spend Yourself Rich. And what about his other famous nickname, the Vagabond Halfback? 
Again, let's hear how Blood tells it in that same Sports Illustrated piece. Ollie Keichel, sports editor of the Milwaukee Journal, first called me a vagabond. There's a story connected with that. I was leaving New Richmond to report to the Packers one year, and as sometimes happened, I decided to ride the blinds on a freight and passenger train. Now, there was no direct train from New Richmond to Green Bay. But there was a connection at Amherst Junction. The connection got in and left a few minutes before the new Richmond train, unless a wire was received requesting to wait for passengers. Before taking the fright, I sent such a wire, and when we got to Amherst Junction, the Green Bay train was waiting. I hopped off the blinds of one train and onto the blinds of the other. Along the way, the baggage car door opened and the baggage man looked out and saw me. He said, is that you, Johnny Blood? I said, yes. He said, did you send that wire telling us to hold for a passenger? I confessed that I was the party. He shook his head, but he invited me into the car, loaned me his razor, and gave me half his lunch. Well, Keichel heard about the incident. He told Curly he was writing a story about the Packers' hobo halfback. Curly was very proud of the Packers, and he asked Keichel if he couldn't avoid suggesting that the team employed hobos. Keichel thought a while and then proposed vagabond. Curly thought that sounded much more dignified, and that's the way it came out in the journal and was reprinted all around the league. Johnny Blood has been the subject of many legendary antics and tales. Whether some of them are 100% true, well, let's just say that they are because they are fantastic. Here are just a few more. There was a time when the Packers were in Los Angeles for a game, and Blood needed some money. He asked Coach Lambeau for an advance of 10 cents, and Lambeau refused and went to his room. Lambeau apparently even noted if Blood came to his room door, he would not let him in. But that apparently didn't stop Johnny Blood. As the story goes, Blood went up the elevators to the 8th floor, he found a door leading to a fire escape, he went out that fire escape, and walked around the ledge of the hotel, 8 stories up. As he was carefully walking on the ledge... A voice called up to him. Is that you up there, Johnny Blood, said a teammate. The same, answered Johnny. Dear God in heaven, shouted this teammate. What are you doing, Johnny? Coach wants to see me, Johnny called back. Told me to drop in and talk over a matter of business. Blood got to Lambeau's window, opened it, and went into the room, scaring his coach half to death. Coach Lambeau, perhaps still in shock from what he just witnessed, gave Blood some money. Then there was a story that involved him climbing down the face of a hotel in downtown Chicago to avoid curfew and recite poetry to women below. Then there was a story that after clinching the 1931 league championship, the Packers celebrated on a train ride back to Green Bay from New York with a party, which included a towel fight. While trying to flee that towel fight, Blood climbed on top of a fast-moving train and crawled across the car tops. He made it to the engine compartment where he spent the remainder of the trip. Johnny Blood passed away a day after his 82nd birthday on November 28, 1985. He was once asked in that 1963 Sports Illustrated article what his profession was. Blood's response? Reading, studying, writing, meditating. Once meditation was an honorable occupation. Today it would appear on a police blotter as a form of vagrancy, I suppose. I think he would be surprised how many people use meditation now. I mean, can you imagine a Johnny Blood meditation service? And after hearing about all these antics and stories about Blood's life, can you imagine if Twitter and Facebook were around during his day? Hearing the stories about Blood's life and his amazing personality, it's hard not to chuckle or smile and just imagine what it was like back in those days. Johnny Blood is someone I feel like you could just pour a couple of scotches, sit back, and listen to some amazing storytelling, both about his expeditions and his playing and coaching days. When we think about Carl... When we think about colorful athletes, usually they get labeled in a negative way. Not Johnny Blood, at least for me. 
His life and how he lived it is an example of how we should all live our lives. That's going to do it for this episode of the Man Cave Podcast, brought to you by Hy-Vee and Toyson Ford. Big thanks for checking out this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. And if you're not subscribing or following the podcast, do us a favor and follow or subscribe to the Man Cave Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all over the place. And uh, if you have the ability on your podcasting platform to give us a positive review or rating or five stars, please go ahead and do so so other people can find the podcast too. But I'm Dan Casper, and until we talk next time, thanks for checking out the Man Cave Podcast.